Well, over the last few days, people I know have tested positive for COVID. People who didn't get COVID throughout the last two years have tested positive. People who've been triple vaxxed, they're okay. Um, but it was a reminder, as always, that uh, despite the fact that as you went out over the weekend here where I am in Victoria, people had their masks off. People are getting used to the idea that mask mandates have ended. People are getting spring, obviously. So people are getting back in the habit of being outside and maybe paying a little less attention to some of those restrictions or some of those preventions that have been in place for so long. But people in your family or people that you know getting or testing positive for COVID is always a reminder that it's not gone. It's certainly not gone at all. Well, Ontario's mask mandate for most public settings was lifted today, following the lead of BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, other places. Vaccine passports are being phased out. And that is something many of us have been waiting for. And the data does seem to support the timing. Hospitalizations, deaths, they're down. But we're seeing a new variant. And we're seeing cases rise in Europe and in China. Hong Kong's had a miserable winter with COVID. And it's always a reminder that you know, this isn't about geography. It's much bigger than that. You know, so whether you live in one province or, you know, the, the way your politics are in one province, COVID doesn't care. It doesn't care what province you lived in. It doesn't care what, you know, what your views of freedoms are. It does what it wants to do. So I think most of us are happy that restrictions are being lifted. Uh, at the same time, we worry about those who may be immunocompromised. What do they do? So have we gone too far too soon or not? There is an expert panel in the U.S. I was reading about it today in the Globe and Mail. They just warned that instead of pretending the pandemic is over, which it's clearly not, um, we should focus on what comes next. What could come next? Joining me now to discuss that is Carolyn Colane. She's the Canada 150 Research Chair in Mathematics for Evolution, Infection, and Public Health at Simon Fraser University. Thank you so much for being here. Hello. So the inevitable question, restrictions or at least uh, Preventions uh, are being lifted. We saw Ontario lift their mask mandate today. Um, when you look at that happening, we've seen it happen in British Columbia as well, other provinces. How do you feel about that? So I think it's, you know, it's a little bit concerning, obviously, uh, especially for those of us who've been steeped in COVID-19 research and, and watching the situation for the last two years. Um, I do think cases have been pretty stable and infections have been pretty stable. And so as we reopen, that means we probably will see a rise in infections due to increased transmission as a result of relaxing restrictions. That's not to say we necessarily shouldn't do it, um, but I do think there, you know, it's certainly understandable to, to be concerned about it. I guess there is a big difference between recognizing that maybe we're not in this kind of emergency situation we were two years ago, but at the same time, letting one's guard down completely probably isn't so wise either. Exactly. And to me, it, it calls into question, you know, or it brings up this question of, you know, I think masks are good and I think we should be wearing them and I think we should be trying to reduce transmission. Does that mean we want or need governments to mandate them? That's a really different question. So I guess my hope would be that people do choose to wear them, that businesses choose to encourage continued masking. Uh, partly because there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. We don't have great data on the number of cases that we would have seen if we'd kept up testing. We don't have great data on the number of infections. We know we have a rising uh, Omicron subvariant, the BA2 variant, this rising in frequency might might be rising in numbers in some places. And we don't really know the long-term effects of COVID infection after vaccination. So there's a lot of unknowns out there. And I think there's good reason to be cautious as we move into this new phase. It seems difficult to understand how we suddenly stopped collecting a lot of data 
on what could only be, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but what could only be called perhaps the greatest public health emergency in a century. And all of a sudden, we don't seem to have a lot of solid data to base our decisions on. Yeah, I think it's a real challenge, um, because if we want to know how effective our vaccines are and how effective our boosters are, we actually do need to know the number of people in the population who have been infected and who are infected today, the number of new infections per week. And that doesn't mean we need to test every single individual who might have COVID. We could do representative sampling, and we probably will be moving into that as we change uh, but I agree, it's a real challenge that at the exact moment that the Omicron wave hit, there were so many infections and they were more uh, more likely to be not severe that we changed testing so radically at that time because it does make it very hard to interpret uh, what's happening. I was going to say, for someone who spent the last two years really, to forgive the, the colloquialism, crunching numbers, um, how much more difficult has that become? So it's become a little more like reading tea leaves sometimes than, than crunching numbers. We try to take the wastewater data signal into account, so how much COVID, no COVID-19 virus is found in wastewater at different sites. Um, and the continued reporting, there are some, of course, daily cases that are still being reported. And we think that testing has been maintained more in the, the more vulnerable populations, which is, is probably very sensible in some ways. So we can kind of extract from cases in uh, reported in those over 70 who are more likely to be tested. So, you know, it, it does make a challenge. Now, of course, you know, the testing and the numbers are not there for modelers like me, but I think they are there or should be there for the public at large to understand where we're at with the pandemic. This has affected everyone in society. And so if we want to understand how we're doing and how, how our boosters are doing, how vaccines are doing against infection and against severe disease, we do need to know how many infections are out there. So we will need to design systems to, to keep that information up and running and in real time so that we can have public conversations about COVID and about what to do about it. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, where do your concerns lie now that these restrictions are being lifted so broadly, or I should say protections, because really they weren't restrictions. Putting on a mask isn't a restriction, it's a protection. Um, but where, where does your concern lie as we see these, these measures being lifted? Yeah, so I think three concerns. One is um, how can people who are at risk of COVID being severe if they do get it, immune compromised people, uh, more elderly people, people whose boosters maybe were four months ago may have waned, uh, how can they be safe if we are not maintaining environments indoors that are safe for everyone? So, And the answer that they themselves wear a mask is kind of unsatisfying just because the benefit of two-way masking is so much better and the benefit of keeping the virus out of the shared air is so much better than having, you know, your own individual mask. So I think that's a real challenge and we need to, you know, we need everyone to be included in public life. Um, I think another challenge is we, we may face a, a second Omicron wave now, and it's not clear how high that wave is going to go in infections. Um, and it's not clear what its impact might be in terms of hospitalizations. Um, boosters may be waning in exactly the people who are most at risk because they were boosted first. So that was now uh, many, many of our elderly people in our populations have been boosted four months ago or a little bit longer. And so they may be at risk of COVID again in this surge. Uh, and then I think finally, this is not the last variant. We're done. We want to be done. We want to be done with masks. We want to be done with all of it. But evolution is still going and we still have a large population of virus in the world. So I think 
the risk that more variants come. We need the we need our eyes open. We need our data going, but we need our virus surveillance, our genomics really going, and we need a plan in place uh, for what happens if and when evolution brings us the next variant. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 do you, do you see that plan in place? Because I think it, it's not that it's inevitable. I mean, I think it's inevitable. We'll probably see we'll we'll see other variants. We don't know how how dangerous they may be. But do you feel like there is a plan in place? And I guess the other thing I want to ask you about was when you shift the burden from society acting in concert to protect the most vulnerable to the vulnerable having to protect themselves, you're changing a dynamic in a pretty in a pretty fundamental way. That's right. And I, and I think it's a challenge. And I think we, you know, another reason we need the data is we want to go into that with our eyes open and we want to go into that with an inclusive and public conversation about how we will protect everyone. And in order to do that, we need to know, you know, what are the longer term risks of infection with COVID and who do they impact the most? What workplaces, what sectors, what uh, what kinds of individuals may be getting COVID multiple times per year, um, maybe home uh, with kids being ill, even if they're not hospitalized and it's not severe. And there also are longer term and system wide impacts of COVID that we don't know that much about, of course, in Omicron cases in vaccinated people, because that has not been going on for very long. It's a very new phenomenon. But we don't know if that there could be these longer term or cardiovascular or neurological impacts. So we may be both making life much more difficult for people who are already immune compromised and at risk. But we, we may also be creating inequitably a larger population of people who have ill health and who, who have um, been impacted by COVID in their heart, in their lungs, in their brains, and in other systems of the body. We do need to know about that. Um, and we do need to be able to mitigate and, and protect ourselves. And, you know, keeping up with indoor masking, ventilation, really monitoring, monitoring things like CO2, monitoring the wastewater. I think those are all important tools we have and we need to be really building them up and, and employing them to make sure that we are having those conversations and choosing an equitable and fair path forward. I'm speaking with Carolyn Colain, Canada 150 Research Chair in Mathematics for Evolution, Infection and Public Health at Simon Fraser University. After this, there has been, we're seeing a surge in cases in Europe. Uh, there's certainly been a surge in cases in China. Hong Kong looks like it's getting a bit better, but all of this is painting a picture for us that's always a reminder that COVID, the pandemic does not know borders, even though sometimes during the pandemic, we like to think we live in them. Uh, we'll be back with that. I'm back with Carolyn Colain, Canada 150 Research Chair in Mathematics for Evolution, Infection, and Public Health at Simon Fraser University. We've been talking about the lifting of protections, including mask mandates in Ontario today and elsewhere, and just how much data we have. What do we really know about what's happening with the pandemic right now? And it turns out we probably don't have all the information we need. Were you surprised, given where you sit, were you surprised at the politicization of some of the more basic protections that have been put in place? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, in the political sphere is not my area of expertise. And I have to say, I was a bit surprised, although maybe in hindsight, you know, looking back, we shouldn't have been as surprised as, as maybe some of us were, because it's the kind of thing that can be politicized. And we live in a very political world, and especially the world of the internet and the, the information bubbles that we can get into can feed into that. 
So it's surprising. I think it, it's unfortunate. I think we did really well in Canada for a lot of the pandemic at not having some of these things so extremely politicized. And I hope we can keep that. We, we have an extremely high vaccination rate in Canada. We have an extremely high booster rate. And I hope that we can collectively plan a path forward through this pandemic that, that keeps up some of that, because I think we have actually done a lot of those things really well across Canada in our different ways, in our different provinces and with different rules at different times and all different figures making different policies. But I think we have had some of those things very shared and I hope that continues. I sort of feel like that politicization has really increased in the past couple of months. Um, it certainly feels like it. Um, what I, The concern I think that I keep hearing is that if in fact we are struck by another wave, how much political will will is there to reintroduce some of these mandates, uh, and how much popular will is there out there to obey them? Right, that's a great question, and uh, and of course I don't know how people might respond. I I would suspect that there is very little appetite for any kind of restrictions on gathering size and capacity. I would hope that there would be more appetite for things like ventilation, outdoor socialization. We did a lot of that last summer and we're heading into summer. So hopefully that will be supported. Things like patios on the streets, uh, windows open and and indeed masking it. You know, while it is politicized and some people uh, do find them very awkward and some people just hate them. They are not as bad as closing a business or telling people they can't socialize with more than 10 others or, you know, those other restrictions. So I hope that we can keep them up. And even if, you know, most people would wear masks instead of absolutely everyone indoors, that's still a huge impact. So I hope we can keep up some of those things. Also, rapid testing, that's one we haven't used as much. It's a tool that could have been in our toolkit the whole time does not involve anyone necessarily being restricted or businesses closed or capacities limited. So I hope we can move to those tools in our toolkit that aren't restrictions and maybe timely delivery of boosters uh, for those who haven't been boosted or haven't been boosted recently. That's another one that, that hopefully we can really keep up with as a tool to fend off any more variants or more waves. Because the province of BC started to give out free um, rapid tests to people over 40 last week. It's now people over 30. Tell, tell me a bit about that. I, I, why is that a good idea? So I think many people want to know if they have COVID because they're feeling ill. They want to know to what extent they should be worried about this. Should they? Is this the moment to avoid visiting their 70-year-old friend or relative, for example? So in order to protect others, their families, their friends, their workplace contacts, maybe their workplace and, you know, in entirety, you don't, nobody wants their workplace to have to close down because they brought in COVID. So people want to know if they have COVID in order to keep themselves and others safe. And I think it's a, it's a good idea if we have access to that information, even if those rapid tests aren't necessarily a guarantee. Sometimes you might have COVID, but you don't test positive yet. Um, and so we, that's not a guarantee, but it's still you know, the partial solution is still part of the solution as part of that Swiss cheese layer of protection. It is, it is remarkable how long it took us to actually make them available, at least in British Columbia, make them available more readily. I gather it's been the same across the country. Um, how should we, I mean, I think it's been such a global story, the pandemic. What should we make of, of, of rising case counts in Europe all of a sudden after restrictions or preventions were, li were lifted. Certainly we've seen rising case counts in China. Hong Kong has been through a horrific end of the winter there. Um, what does that tell you about where this pandemic is headed? 
Yeah, so I think this is uh, really down to very high transmissibility of the Omicron variant and of the BA2 subvariant or sublineage uh, even above the original Omicron. And we saw this with the first COVID and then we saw alpha more transmissible. So overcoming the the protections we had in place. Again, we have, you know, decline in Omicron in Canada and other places and then here comes BA2, probably around 40% more transmissible together with relaxing restrictions, that's just going to give you a rise in infections. Whether that gives us a rise in hospitalizations, which trigger, you know, has been throughout the pandemic, what triggers public health measures, um, I think remains to be seen. It depends on the age groups, the waning, the boosting. Um, In Hong Kong in particular, they did not have as high vaccination rates among the age groups that were most vulnerable. And that led to a really drastic situation in countries uh, like Finland and Europe, where there are much higher vaccination rates among the elderly, that impact is greatly reduced because vaccines work. They work to protect, especially with Omicron, to protect against severe disease, not so much against infection. But that's a huge level of protection. So hopefully we will have that in Canada too. And this surge will primarily, hopefully, be just in infections. I say that just because, you know, infections are not what we've triggered actions on in the pandemic, but they're still important. They're still what carries the virus around, what carries it to vulnerable people and what lets it evolve further. So I think we, you know, I'm still worried about them, but hopefully we won't have that severe impact. So BA2 is 40% more transmissible. That's approximately our estimate, yes. And that's based on how the fraction of infections or the fraction of reported cases that our BA2 has changed um, in the UK and elsewhere, according to data. And, you know, you never know for sure. There's always a lot of uncertainty in these. Um, but it does seem to be, has it does seem to have an advantage over BA1 and the other Omicron. But uh, that doesn't seem to be that it's different in terms of immunity. It seems to be that it's different in terms of transmission. Carolyn Colleen, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you.